Okay, welcome to episode 31 of Running Matters. My name is Matt North. I'm joined by my co-host, Paul Hadfield. How are you going, mate? Good, Woofie. How are you, mate? Very well. Could not be better. Good. We're joined by our special guest today, Michelle Bruce. Thanks for coming in today, Michelle. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So I'm looking forward to um, talking nutrition today. Before uh, we get into it, we should thank our partners, Filter Brewing, Goo Energy, Gaimia Allied Health, Fractal Running Caps, and Swimguard Pool Fence Certification. It's a big list, mate. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Any, anyone to add this week? or? Uh, no, that's about it. No. Should, yeah, yep, that's about it. Um, <laughs> no one knew. We... Uh, <laughs> We should also thank Jimmy Carroll, who's doing the uh, sound editing behind the scenes. Thank you very much, Jimmy. Sounding good. Yeah. yeah. I just listened to the last one with Lou Clifton. Yep. Spot on, Jimmy. Great episode. Yeah. Great episode. 31 episodes, making progress. That's right. That's right. So uh, how's your training going for Surf Coast Century coming up in four months' time? Yeah, it's it's... Going okay. I missed the Sunday long run due to a bit of uh, fairy bread intake on Saturday, yeah. my daughter's birthday. So we can talk about that later, Michelle. My my sugar issues. Um, but yeah, yeah, I've got got the let out this week. Starting to get some K's done. So build up the volume. Be a hundred guy again. Yep. What about you? Plenty of time. Yep. I'm enjoying the training. It's only uh, four months away, so it'll come around pretty quick. So mm. uh, looking forward to it. And we got. Um, Matt Fairburn, Fairborn, how do you pronounce his name? Just like that. Yep. Yeah. That's what I thought. So he's gone. He's entered. Yeah, I saw. Yeah. Simone Hayes is a maybe. She's a yes. She's a yes. Terribly rubber arm. Definitely. Yep. So uh, it's good there's a few people going down. Luke Clifton was a yes, I reckon. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We've got Sarah Tapp. Sarah Tapp. You heard it here first. Friend of the show. Yep. And uh, so we've got, yeah, quite a few going down. So that's a pretty good crew. Yeah. So if people do want to go down, we've got a promo code that you can use at the checkout, Running Matters SCC. So the Surf Coast Initials Century, Surf Coast Century 2019. So we'll put that up on our Facebook page as well. But that'll. What do they get for that? that that's uh, 30 bucks off the yeah. entry fee. Great. It's worthwhile, isn't it? Yeah. Just for listening. Just for listening. Fantastic. Good giving. And, um, and the Royal Double Ultra Marathon is going well. We've got about 55 people entered now. It's amazing there's that many massacres around, isn't it? Locally too. Yeah. A yeah. lot of locals. Are they all doing the 250Ks in two days? So we've got about 40 people that have signed up to do both days. Yep. And so what's that leave? 15 doing just one day only. Doing the fun run. Doing the fun run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I'm not going to say they're soft publicly, but, you know. That's me. I'm doing the fun run. Yeah, that's right. Saturday. Yeah. Anyway, anyway it'll be fun. One's better than none. <laughs> so uh, looking forward to that. So, yeah, we've still got a few spots on either day. So send us a message if you're keen to come along and do it. Sure. And, uh, and even if you don't have a qualifier. I think it sounds great. <laughs> 50 Ks for you? I'm not up to that at the moment, uh, but it sounds good. Say the surf coast. I'd love to do that one day. Yeah. There's yeah. no better time. Yeah. 30 bucks off right here. Yeah. You've heard it first. Mm. Can we convince you by the end of the show to sign it? I think I've got something else lined up that. Oh, <laughs> I'm washing my hair. Perfect. <laughs> good, good response. So, um, Michelle, we both started our, our working lives as pool lifeguards down at Caring Bar Pool. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever consider working in real estate for one day like me? One day? <laughs> no, I can't say. Yeah. No. no. You shouldn't have considered it either, Wolfie. No. no. Yeah. 
I'd recommend it to anyone. Just have a little sample career. And, <laughs> have you had um, any other careers for one day or just that one? Can I get back to you though? I have to think about it. I'm, I'm not ruling it out. There's possibly one or two other careers in there. That's great. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're talking about nutrition. I've got a listener question straight up. Mm-hmm. So, and it's from The Wolf. Mm-hmm. And... It says, it's actually directed for you, Hattie. All right. It says, what's easier for your wife to swallow? Finding out on social media that you've booked a race in Victoria with your mates and saying, oops, I forgot to tell you. Or the fact that she finds out and that you pretend that you've already told her. Look, what's easy to swallow? Look, it's, it's one from my regular playbook, this one. Yeah. <laughs> and I rely on the fact that Beck probably doesn't have the world's greatest memory so i'm pretty sure i already told her about it several months ago um yeah anyway she she does look at social media much more than she listens to me so it's probably the more efficient way to tell her about such things um so anyway she knows now it's good it's all happening we're signed up yep yeah she's she's happy i guess awesome (laughs) that's good that's good it's actually two days after her birthday so i might have to pull out something a bit special before we head down there. Yeah. That'd, that'd be easy to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Should be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Any suggestions? No. <laughs> You're on your own there. <laughs> All right. Did you have a question for Michelle? I've got heaps of stuff. I'm, yeah. The, the dietary side of the ultra running stuff is really interesting to me. Um, so... I guess most runners at the top end aim to be as lean as possible. Um, at what point does the weight loss become detrimental to their performance, do you think, Michelle? That's a really, really fine line between what's healthy and what's not not healthy when you get to that, that sort of a level. Yep. So obviously you need to eat enough to support what you're doing from a training perspective, mm. but then obviously people recognise that if you're a bit lighter, you can go a little bit faster. But yep. Yeah. It's, um, I guess there's no magic figure that we can kind of come to. It's something that you've got to really listen to your body and how it responds to what you're doing to kind of hmm. find what's the right place for you. It's going to be somewhere different for everybody, really. Yeah. Do you, do you have any tips? Are you like working with, with athletes to, to work out that perfect weight balance or...? I look more, rather than looking at a weight goal, hmm. I look more at the processes. So what you can do just day-to-day within the races to enhance your performance rather than saying, okay, I get to this weight and my performance is going to be this. That's really going to be you do all the right things um, in terms of what you're doing nutrition-wise and training-wise and it all comes together on the day to produce your optimal performance. It may or may not be at that weight, but it may be. Um, But if you're doing everything right, then at least you're heading in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Do you you find, have you seen people go too far with it, like losing Um, too much weight? Definitely, yeah. yeah. I've seen a lot of um, a lot of people tend to undereat. Yeah. Um, not just during training, but just day to day. Um, I think just the culture that we live in now, kind of especially in women, promotes a smaller body size, and yep. Yep. there's so many messages out there that they need to be in a smaller body, and they're not really worthwhile in a larger body. But you can see athletes in all shapes and sizes mm-hmm. in in a number of different sports. <laughs> and is that a tough thing to change their mindset? That's a really tough thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I always try and bring it back to how they're feeling rather mm. than worrying about, I guess, appearance and aesthetics and the things like that. Or the numbers, yeah. Yeah, okay. 
Um, uh, what do you see as the role of real food during a longer race, like an ultra marathon? Do you think it's better to be going with a like a straight liquid or gel based diet for for race day, or do you think real food plays a role? I think the longer the event goes, um, the more important it is to have variety. Yep. Um, if you're just doing a short one hour, two hour event, then yeah, you might be fine just having some gels, some sports drink, even just water if it's just a one hour thing. But as you get out there longer, you want to mix it up. You want to have a variety of flavours because otherwise you get what's called um, flavour fatigue. Flavour fatigue. Flavour fatigue. Um, it's very real. <laughs> so you might like chocolate goose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they might be fine for the first four hours, but then you get to the fifth there and you think, I can't stomach another chocolate goo. Yeah. If you don't have options as to other alternatives, then you're going to stop fueling and that'll have an impact on your performance yeah, yeah, for the rest yeah. of the race. So so what about if you've got a variety of goos? Mm-hmm. Um, and what solids would you recommend, you know, like if we're talking about muesli bars, cliff bars, or doesn't matter what particular brand, but if we're talking about getting solids in during a race, and as you know, we're talking about the surf case coming up with the 100K race, how much... Would you recommend of the solids we're getting in? Because, like, I'd be taking probably a gel, say, every half an hour during mm-hmm. the race. Yeah. Um, how how often should I be having a bit of solid food? That's very individual. Some people can't stand having anything solid. They find it a bit too uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Other people are fine with it. Um, you definitely need to train with it. If that's your choice, that you want to take solid food, then practice it in training. Know what you can tolerate. Um, sports foods are generally formulated in a way that we can absorb the energy we need from them really easy. Mm. Um, when you're racing or training, you know your body's under a lot of stress already. Mm. Blood flows in your muscles, not your gut, so it's hard to absorb the yep. carbohydrate that you need. So if you're going to have something like a, a muesli bar or a cliff bar, something a bit more solid that's going to sit in your stomach a bit longer, you need to have that blood flow there to be able to... Mm. digest it basically so you need to slow down a little bit so you need to slow so yes if you're doing something that's longer you're going at a slower intense slower pace Mm. then it's going to be easier to have those sorts of food and be more comfortable in your gut if you're going really high intensity Mm. then that's where you want something that's going to be a bit more comfortable so real food can be great can mix up the variety a lot of um, sports foods are sweet whereas if you go real food you can then get a bit more savory in so Mm. mix up all that sweetness that you're getting um but you've got to keep in mind as well that the nutrition content of real food can be a bit variable. Mm. Um, whereas sports food, you generally know how many grams of carbohydrate are in one gel. Yeah, of course. You know, if you've got a honey sandwich, you know roughly how much is in one piece of bread and in a tablespoon of honey, but how much have you put on there, how much are you eating, things like that. So mm. it's, a, it's a balance. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Mm. and certainly something that you can practice on the long runs which i'll probably do but what about if i'm taking tailwind and and i want to ask you if you're an advocate for that product if so if i'm having tailwind and i'm having gels as well as i mentioned every half an hour um if you're sort of balancing like for, for a race like that you're sort of balancing on on threshold where you're not going over but you're not actually probably slowing down enough to feel comfortable eating solids. Mm-hmm. Would you say that I could get through the race with enough energy having the tailwind and a gel every half an hour? You definitely could. Yep. Yeah. Um, <coughs> the guidelines are the more carbohydrate and you can get in, the better you are mm-hmm. performance-wise um, as a general rule. Yep. Um, 
if you're having a gel every half hour and you're having tailwind on top of that, you're probably getting adequate carbohydrate to, to meet your energy requirements. If you want to top that up with a little bit of extra stuff, then it's not going to hurt as long as you've been practising it. And Especially weighing it. about 45 kilos like you weigh, Wolf. That'd be plenty <laughs> for you, mate. That'd be enough. No problem. So I'm not offended by that. <laughs> it's a compliment. Thank you. Um, so do you have uh, – can you think of any – elite athletes that we that we might know like Craig Alexander or someone like that that does these uh, endurance events or ultras that have solids during the race or what's what's the balance there do some just stick to liquids or do some have solids as well I'm not sure actually Um, I'd imagine that all have very different Mm -hmm. approaches Um, there's a lot more research coming out now around real foods and separating I guess food from fluid in terms of okay. what you're doing as in, in racing and as in calories versus fluid sort of stuff. Yeah, like. separating your hydration, I suppose, yeah. from from your energy intake. Yeah, um, which it's important to know both. Yeah, yeah, because our yeah, intake needs mm. are so different. Yeah, yeah, okay. So the tailwind having that sort of one one stop formula might be problematic in that sense, as far as sugar versus fluid. Yeah, I think you've got to weigh it up in terms of what you're doing and what your goals are. So if you're going out for a few hours, you're happy to have the one flavour or even a couple of different flavours of Tailwind or whatever, Um, you just want to have that, then that could be fine. Um, You could meet your requirements. Um, That has a certain amount of carbohydrate in there, um, but you'd also need to drink a certain amount of fluid to get that amount of carbohydrate. If it's really cold... You don't feel like drinking much. You're not sweating as much. You might not be able to drink as much as what you need to get the most out of your performance. It's also filling you up like crazy too, that amount yeah. of water. So, yeah. yeah, it doesn't always work for me. I have to supplement it with a couple of gels too. Yeah. Anyway, how, how, how long do you reckon it takes to absorb that real food into the system? You know, say if you're doing a six-hour run, for example, are you, are you getting much of that real food in along the way? Or? It depends on what you're having yeah. and what it's made up of. So obviously when you're going along training-wise, you want to have mostly carbohydrate because that's what your body's going to be utilising for energy. Mm. You've got more simpler carbohydrate that's going to be absorbed a lot quicker than if you had something that was more complex carbohydrate because mm. that's just going to sit in your gut for a while. So simple carbohydrates around training and racing are really what you kind of want for that quick energy. Mm. But day-to-day, yeah, yeah, general yeah. nutrition, that's when we go the more complex. So it's going to be nice balance that way. But mm. And how quick does that simple carbohydrate, I guess, hit the system? Like, is it, How quickly is it available to you? Pretty quickly. I'm not sure exactly how quick, hmm. um, but it's pretty soon. You probably realise, you know, when you've been out and you're feeling a bit, bit flat, and you yeah. you have um like a coke or something. Yeah. <laughs> how quickly that the that black picks doctor. you up? Yeah. Great Magic. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> it's only should be used on race day. Otherwise, you should never drink it. That's right. Horrible stuff. That's right. <laughs> um, I recently crewed for a mate doing the Ultra Trail 100k. Yeah. So friend of the show, Judge. Um, so I specifically gave him some caffeine at the 50k, 75 and 90k mark. He seemed to have a really noticeable improvement in mood and performance associated with the timing of the caffeine. Mm-hmm. So how much do you think of that is physiological change due to the caffeine and how much do you think might be placebo for, for the judge? Well, caffeine is one of those um, 
substance is a space where you're either a responder or non-responder. So some people okay. will respond to caffeine and other people won't. So you need to try it in training first. There's we also, didn't. You didn't? <laughs> we did. <laughs> recommended you try anything in training first <laughs> uh, i just wanted to sneak up on him on the race day you know. it can can have um, not so good consequences um but if it does work for you there's an optimal amount as well yeah okay. you can get in so it's around three milligrams per kilo of body weight yeah is right the optimal amount if you get not quite enough then it might pick you up a little bit but it's not really having as much of an effect and then if you get beyond say five milligrams per kilo you start getting the jitters and yeah, yeah. i heard a story yesterday about somebody that had um not had any caffeine during training and they'd ran the city morning herald half the other week mm. and had caffeinated gels they had caffeinated tailwind they had a coffee before the start and they had something else oh, rabies as well mm-hmm. all this caffeine that they weren't used to and they felt horrible at the end mm-hmm. just um, took took them forever they were in the medical tent trying to yeah. come they just had too much caffeine okay so you've got to be careful yeah but but three milligrams per kilo body weight i don't think judge of mine is saying that he'd be about 90 kilos so 270 milligrams of caffeine mm. is a bucket load of caffeine mm. that's like more than three espresso shots right i didn't load him up enough mm. <laughs> i don't reckon well he just came storming home well, he's, got the balance right. He's obviously a responder. He's yeah. a responder. <laughs> well done. So it wasn't a placebo then. You, you know. No, in his case, no, I found it quite... It um, reduces that perception of fatigue. Yeah. And yeah, I guess if you gave it to him with carbohydrate as well, it'd be um, yeah. giving extra energy as well. So There you go. Yeah. Worked out well. Well tightened. <laughs> I'm worried he's going to get hooked on no-dos now. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Make him more chatty. You want to see what, what yeah, happens? Yeah, yeah, a bit of a social experiment. <laughs> he does tend to fall asleep after a dozen beers. Yeah, so yeah. Might, might, keep, might keep him up at midnight. Might help him out. <laughs> um, what do you reckon the role of salt and other electrolytes are during training and racing regarding cramping specifically? With cramping, we still don't really know what causes them. Mm. Hydration and, and electrolytes are one kind of theory. Yeah. Um, think it's definitely useful to know whether you do sweat out a lot of electrolyte like a lot of sodium or yeah. whether you don't that's um, a very genetic thing and um, a training effect as well yeah. um, and acclimatization as well so yeah. different times of year genes and things will affect how much sodium you sweat out so if you're sweating out a lot you obviously need to replace it or it leaves you a bit more susceptible yeah. to cramps but I see a lot more um, in practice, I've found that a lot of people that do suffer from cramps aren't actually feeling appropriately, so they're not actually getting enough energy to be able to maintain the activity, and so the muscles fatiguing, and that's what's resulting in the cramp rather than getting that neuromuscular yeah. cramping. Yeah, okay. That's what I've found in my experience. Most of the time, once you fix up their fueling, making making sure that they're eating, drinking enough. So essentially getting enough sugar in rather yeah. than enough salt in. Enough fuel for the muscle, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, salt helps from a fluid balance perspective in, in helping you retain some of that fluid, absorb it a bit better. If you're just having just water, it can just go straight through. Hmm. Um, so there's a role for that as well. Okay. So, so you feel that the, the, the salt is helping you absorb the water and the sugar 
better. So that's its yeah. role there. Okay. Yeah, sugar and salt will help you absorb the water yeah, a little okay. bit better. Mm. And, and so how much do you do you tend to suggest that people take in? For, for a race, for example, how much salt do you to suggest? Uh, it's very, very individual. If somebody's just normal, not excessive sodium sweater, then usually it's just a sports drink or whatever would be sufficient. So as long as they're having some form of electrolyte, in, in whatever fueling source they're having, whether it's sports drink or, you know, gels that have some in there, just mm. so they're not just having water. Yeah. That's generally Tends sufficient. If they are, if we know that they are a very salty sweater, they might have, like, a lot of crust on their hat, you know, yeah. that salty crust on, on their yeah. clothing, then we might look at supplementing a little bit. Um, I do sweat tests with some athletes where kind of look at how much sweat that sodium they're actually sweating out and we mm. can kind of formulate a plan to kind of replace some of what they're losing. But at the moment we don't have any guidelines over how much we should be replacing as yeah. well. So we can find out how much they're losing, but we don't know whether we should be replacing that 100% or 25%. How much they're absorbing yeah. anyway. Yeah. yeah, so it's still a bit of trial and error. Okay. Um, and working out what works best for that athlete. Mm. Mm. What about sorry, the role of um, salt tablets? Then, like, do you, do you find that's a necessary addition to someone's Not necessarily race necessary. It depends on what other things you're using. Mm. I don't recommend them that often. Yeah. Um, with the athletes I've worked with, um, some I have. Okay. But, but not all of them. And, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Sweat tests. How do they work? So they're essentially looking at three different components of sweat tests that I do so when I get people to come and do them um, we look at their general hydration levels to start with um, so we can measure urine specific gravity and it tells you basically how hydrated you are at the start of the session so you can do that test kind of yourself without the numbers by you know looking at the color of your wee mm-hmm. obviously the clearer it is the more hydrated you are the darker it is the less hydrated um, but obviously you want to start a training session well hydrated, so mm-hmm. it's good to know just day-to-day what your kind of levels at. So that's the first part of the test. Um, the second part, we do a fluid balance, so we're actually working out the sweat rate. That's going to vary by conditions, how hot or humid it is, mm-hmm. um, but for that we weigh the person before and after the session and also weigh drinks or food that they eat before and after so we can calculate exactly what that sweat rate is in that condition. Mm. And then the third part is actually we collect the sweat sodium and we calculate sweat sodium concentration of the sweat. So we place patches on different sites of the body. It's usually the forearms, maybe the forehead, and mm. you do your session as you normally would, collect a whole lot of sweat, and yeah. then we analyse that for the sodium content and we can work out from that whether you're a salty sweater or a not-so-salty sweater and can kind of adjust your nutrition plan according yeah, to all those cool. things. There you go. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you chuck the, uh, the patches on people's forearms because that's like a, a good spot to harvest sweat? Because I feel like I sweat a bucket load to the edges of my forearms. Do you find that? No. No, okay. It's it like a tap <laughs> down there. I don't know what that is. But... Generally, um, the forearms are a nice, easily accessible place um there's a lot of of, and you know it's not like you're running around with a patch on your forehead (laughs) which looks really good when Um, but um i've done it with people (laughs) um but yeah forearms are generally easy you can kind of monitor what's happening with them whether they're kind of getting saturated or if they're coming off and lifting a little bit better than other places so 
different different sites on your body will sweat at different rates and we yeah. have different equations that we use depending on where we collect the sweat from to calculate okay. the yeah, concentration. Right. So, so some, some areas of the body have a high rate yeah. of uh, losing sweat. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm a real forearm guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I've heard some people's knees sweat a lot too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's an individual thing. Have you been checking out the colour of your urine? Have you had a look at that? I'm looking at it every time I do a wee. Yeah. 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 I've had some pretty brown action going on during race day from yeah. time to time. I might need to get this looked at, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. a bit dehydrated during the it's race. It's quite yeah. possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we'll talk. I guess we're talking now. Um, yeah, I had like a situation during Ultra Trail 100 a few years back where I was just in this full body cramp and every runner was just jumping over me because I was lying on the ground at this point, um, unable to stop the cramping, just throwing salt tablets at me and it just seemed to make zero difference to me, the amount of salt I had in my system. So mm-hmm. I just kind of gave away the idea that salt was causing, or lack of salt was causing the cramping at that point because, you know, I, I'd never been saltier in my life, but I was still cramping like a bastard. So, mm-hmm. Could you have been short in nutrition, as Michelle was alluding to? Absolutely. Yeah. Not enough sugar. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and probably running a bit too hard for my particular fitness level at the time. So yeah. I reckon... Yeah, generally contribute as well. I know a lot of people cramped on the weekend because they, it was warmer yeah. than what they were expecting, and they went out harder because they were running with a friend. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So they weren't running their own race, and then they got into trouble sooner. Mm. So okay. definitely lots of factors. So slow down, eat more sugar. And don't go out too fast. I'm suggesting you do that often. I, I do that almost every race. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to stop. No. It's just in my nature. No. Anyway. You'll, you'll pull it off sooner or later. Exactly. One day it'll work. Yeah. There'll be egg on your face. Yeah. <laughs> oh my. Salty you training egg. as well? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. No, not in training, just that's on right, race that's day. That's the problem, you need to do it in training. A bit of white line <laughs> fever happens, unfortunately, Michelle. Um, what about, regarding cramps, what's your take on pickle juice? What do you reckon? It's effective. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, definitely had a lot of um, feedback from, from athletes that, that it works. Um, I had okay. to use the um, cramp fix product on the weekend. And so same sort of thing? Same sort of thing. Vinegary works, and yeah, stuff, yeah. Works, I can't remember exactly what's in it, but some sort of vinegar that basically yeah, shocks that. Yeah neuromuscular yeah. pathway and relieves the cramp and they're able to finish the race and okay. get through. Yeah, I've, I've used it to some effect as well. I think it works. I actually gave Judge, who I was coming from the weekend, a vial of the stuff to, mm-hmm. to, to take in if he started the cramp. I reckon I gave him like 100 mils of pickle juice. He just shot at it straight away. He didn't wait till he had a cramp. He goes, this actually tastes pretty good. <laughs> just down the whole thing. Yeah. And then he goes, have you got any more left? I went... No, mate, that's it. You <laughs> reserve. You're done. Yeah, that's it was all we had. Fingers yeah. crossed. I had to milk twelve pickles to get that amount yeah. of juice out of it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, lucky he didn't cramp for the rest of the day, so he didn't need it. Was it stop? He's stockpiling. He's the first bloke that's ever liked the taste of it, though. It's yeah. awful, horrible taste. He's got low standards. <laughs> Spe- speaking of awful, um, as much as I want to, you know have a beer after a 100 kilometre race I just can't seem to stomach the taste of it Um, so why does something that normally tastes so good taste so very bad at that time 
I guess, not sure exactly. But <laughs> is this, is this love, the first time you've been asked this question? I think so with beer particularly. <laughs> That's usually related to appetite. So appetite after a hard hard effort is often affected in, in yeah. athletes. And, you know, you find they find it really hard to get started with their recovery nutrition because they yeah. just don't feel like eating at all. So it's about just trying to find some way to get something in and usually drinking is an easier way drinking some sort mm. of nourishing fluid or like milk or milkshake or something that's mother's usually... milk potentially mm. like beer beer mm. doesn't seem to work though <laughs> <laughs> i reckon the, the lemonade icy pole is the key i reckon yeah if that works for you it's got some fluid it's yeah. got some sugar yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe you weren't drinking filters back then and now that we're drinking filters maybe you're right maybe it might be easier maybe I had a bit of flavor fatigue yeah. previously could be what do you think of the ipa it's tremendous. It's nice, yeah. isn't it? Tremendous. Mm. Fortunately, beer is not the best for rehydration, but I can. Thanks for coming in, Michelle. <laughs> we'll wrap it up. But yeah, no. Just drink it with water as well, and you'll be good. Right. Always good, good advice. <laughs> Always. We've, yeah, we've got some questions about that to come. So right. Um, we'll talk about calorie intake, I guess, a bit more. So most of the available advice regarding calorie intake talks about a maximum absorption of about three hundred calories per hour. So it, it seems as though those assumptions are made on runners that are between, you know, 50 and 70 kilos. So can a bloke in the 80 and 90 kilo range conceivably take in more than 300 calories per hour? I think a lot of that research around the calories per hour is, must be older research because the whole time I've been studying sports nutrition, they the focus has been more on carbohydrates per hour okay. rather than calories. calories. Yeah. And it makes sense because carbohydrates are the fuel that you're using. So the recommendations vary depending on how long you're going for. Mm. So if you're going for up to an hour, you don't really need any carbohydrate. You could have a little bit if you want, but you've got a lot of stored carbohydrates, so you don't need it. Anything over 90 minutes, it's recommended you have a small amount. Um, Yeah, up to 90 minutes. Over 90 minutes, you're looking at around 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour. Yep. Um, and over that two and a half, three hour mark, you're looking. You can get up to ninety grams of carbohydrate per hour. So that's well and truly above three hundred calories. That would Not, be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But that's um something that you need to train your gut for. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Um, you need to work out what your individual tolerance threshold level is because mm. not everybody will be able to get that 90 grams some people might be more around 60 70 but yeah. you've got to work that out yourself in training a okay. little bit but, but, but conceivably but you could, could get that amount in yeah, yeah okay mm. i reckon we've got a few 80 kilo to 90 kilo listeners the big Absolutely. dog adam good yeah about 90 kegs judge about 90 i reckon they can yeah. get some more fuel into them i reckon 80 80 would be a common weight you mm. know for trail runners yeah all the, all the best try runners are 80 kilos. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right, we'll try that out. Try that out, a bit more carbohydrate. Um, so H- Halle Gabriel-Celesi um, famously broke the marathon world record in 2008. He was measured to have lost roughly 10% of his body weight in fluid by the end of the race. So this is a world record marathon performance, lost 10% of his body weight. Are we doing the wrong thing by trying to replace all our fluid losses on race day? That all depends on what your goal is again. I can't well, guess. breaking the world record. Yeah, breaking the world record. You've got, I guess, opportunity to drink as well. And he would have been just taking the opportunity to drink 
at the points that he needed to mm. to kind of minimise dehydration so that it wouldn't have impacted on his performance but yep. still gotten enough. So I know when they did that breaking two attempt, they had the science right down on how, how much they needed to drink and when so that they could optimise that. So yep. if you're going faster, you're not going to have as much opportunity to drink as somebody that's doing a slower, mm. slower thing. You're going to... You know, they run through aid stations and maybe get a gulp of water in, whereas somebody that's going slower might walk through the aid station and drink a lot more. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very goal-dependent, and obviously we know that there's an effect of dehydration on performance. Yep. Um, but, yeah, calculating that right balance for what your goals are, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, there's a lot of it depends in nutrition. Yeah, <laughs> and that's, that's, that's fine. Like, mm. that's the way it is. But there's been a lot of chat about sort of 2% dehydration starting to become detrimental to performance. Yeah. And he's lost 10% of his body weight and still broken the world record. So it obviously hasn't impacted on his performance on that particular day anyway. Mm. So is, is that 2% rule a bit of a furphy or is it good science? What's the story there? I'd have to look into it a bit more, but yep. I'd assume that he started in really good hydrated yep. condition. Um, so he wasn't starting dehydrated to start with. And mm. then, yeah, obviously his time was super fast, so he wasn't out there for that long. Yeah. Um, somebody that's slower is going to be out there longer. It's going to have more time to impact on their performance mm. as well. So yeah. I think, yeah, there's that bit of a... Bit of a trade-off there. Trade-off, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So not suggesting that we lose 10% of our body weight for the surf coast century then? No. <laughs> uh, I'd be lighter. It'd happen anyway, I think, wouldn't it? Be down to 72 kilos. Mm. That'd be real handy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just limiting the dehydration. <laughs> you okay. don't necessarily want to match match what you're losing. You can catch up afterwards, but limiting that dehydration to a point that it's not impacting on your... Spe- speaking of limiting... How many beers do you recommend we'd limit to the night before? The night before, probably best to save that for the night after. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. so zero. Zero? What about one? Would one have an effect? If it's going to calm you <laughs> and it's something that you do. <laughs> so one's okay. See, my, my rule's always been two. Two. Yeah, it's like a, I don't know, like your favourite red pair of undies or something. It's just a bit of a sentimental thing. Yeah. So I'm going to keep doing that. Stick to two. Yeah, two light beers. Never do anything new before race day. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a big tick. Rob Gick, De Castell used to have two beers before a marathon. Yeah. I figure if it's good enough for Deke, <laughs> That's right. it's good enough, enough for me. Good enough for us, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, conspiracy theory time. So a lot has been made of the rise of the sugar industry in the 60s and 70s and the construction of the diet pyramid. Um do you buy into the conspiracy theories regarding the US corn and sugar industries basically shaping the Western dietary advice for the last 50 years? I guess our food environment is kind of dictated a lot by food industry and so the products that are available to us now are very different to mm. the products that were available back then. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely going to influence how we are from a health perspective. Mm. Um, the American food environment is very different to the Australian food environment as well. I know they have a lot of issues with um, corn fructose and things like that and a lot of our products aren't made out of those same things. So a lot of the conspiracy theories that you hear about kind of based on that US yep. kind of data rather than... Don't apply to us so much. Not so much here, no. Okay. Um, I mean, there would be some that do, but generally our food, food sources are different. So mm. there's a little bit of a mismatch 
yeah, there. Okay. Um, but I think the the dietary guidelines are, as a whole, are based on a huge volume of evidence, like thousands and thousands of studies to to form what they have. It's just the way that we've portrayed them that gets really challenging, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and people misinterpret. So it used to be a pyramid. Now it's a, a plate sort of model. Yeah. Um, it's designed to guide, not be a prescription, but to be a guideline for for good health for the average person obviously if you've got special requirements because you're an athlete or you're unwell in some some form then you need specific diet to mm. to match that nutrition's very individualized and you can't just take a one size fits all approach so of course i think yeah, you've got to read things weigh it up see how it applies to you and make mm. a decision from there and so sh- shifting from that pyramid to that plate idea do they pull back on the amount of carbohydrates uh, suggested as a daily intake there from pyramid to plate? Uh, not really. It's pretty I think similar. the focus, I mean, I'm trying to remember from, from primary school what they taught yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the breads and cereals are on the bottom and they still have a fairly significant proportion, just kind of showing as being from breads and cereals in, mm. in the, the plate model now. But I guess it's not just saying eat a whole lot of bread or eat. There's other things in there that match a whole lot of different dietary patterns. So if you're mm. vegan, you can still follow the dietary guidelines. It mm. doesn't exclude that because you're not eating meat yeah. in the protein. It still includes you know, your soy and your legumes and those sorts of things. So yeah. so it, it does fit all dietary patterns. And, mm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, that's good. That's good. I like the plate better than the pyramid. Yeah. Yeah. just feels like pizza. Too much like the stonemasons or something, I don't know. Mm. Too piney for me, the pyramid. You got soy questions? I've got a soy question. <clears throat> soy milk versus dairy milk, what's your recommendation? I've, I've switched to soy. Of course you have. Only because I read a book. Uh-huh. And you know when you read a book, you've got to follow what the book says. But uh, I read somewhere that uh, your body actually has to work has to actually break down calcium in your body to digest dairy. It doesn't sound like you read the book very closely. Yeah, maybe I wasn't sober. (laughs) (laughs) Dairy milk and soy milk are very close from a nutritional profile point of view. So people prefer to drink soy, soy milk or dairy milk. I don't mind either way, really. It's personal preference. Yeah. Um, it's more, other milk alternatives like almond milk that seem to be popular these days. Oh, so. cousin Benny and his almond milk. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. don't really match up from a from a nutritional point of view. So soy and dairy have similar amounts of protein. Almond milk has very little protein. It's more just water, basically. Yeah. Um, if you're getting soy milk, as long as you make sure it's fortified with extra calcium, then doesn't really make much difference from my perspective anyway. Okay, so that's good to know. So if you are drinking a particular soy, it should have extra calcium. Yeah, look for something fortified with calcium. Okay, Mm. good to know. Or just drink regular milk with regular calcium. Could do that. Yeah. But the book... (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I've got another question. What is tofu? I eat it every day and I've got no idea what I'm eating. It's just an alternative to have something solid in my... Sandwich wrap. So you're, you're eating this thing mm. and you don't know what it is. It's sort of rubbery, but it's good with extra sauce. I'm glad we got Michelle on then. Yeah, <laughs> that's why we're here. Good. That's a soy product as well, isn't it? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, 
know exactly what it is. I, yeah, soy is it's soy it's, protein. And that's what tofu is. It looks I like an eraser so, yeah. <laughs> to me. An eraser, rubbery. Yeah, yeah. That's what tastes it tastes. Extra similar. sauce. It's scary to a lot of people, but yeah. <laughs> doesn't scare me. I'm no. just going to find. Eventually, I'm going to find out what it is. You are so food. What's forward. your favourite way to have soy? <laughs> the tofu. Um, so you know, you can buy it in packets, flavoured. So you can get like a satay flavoured, and mm-hmm. I just sort of chuck it on a wrap with some mushrooms and spinach. It's pretty nice. Mm-hmm. I used to make it into rice paper rolls. Oh, really? Mm. They were quite tasty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Are you a veggie or do you eat meat? Or? I eat meat, but I'm eating more more plant-based, I suppose, now than what I used to. Yeah. Are you? Is there a reason why, why you'd be eating less meat than you used to? Uh, I'm just trying to increase the variety in my diet, really. Yeah. Yep. Experiment a bit more with legumes and that. There's been a whole lot of research around you know, how good they are from a gut perspective. Okay. Mm. Good. So I read this book once. Go on. <laughs> and uh, and it talks about the digestive tract and mm-hmm. how long it takes to digest meat. Do you know how long it takes to digest? If I have a steak for dinner tonight, how long it would take to digest a steak? It'd take a fair while. Yep. Yeah. Doesn't the book say like 40 years or something though? Close. I think it says 14 days to digest meat. Myth. Steak. Mm. Bastard, come on, like Michelle. a bit extreme, but yeah. I would have thought a few days. Just a couple done. of days? That would have been my thought. I haven't looked at that stuff in a while. Yeah. But, Just yeah. say it with confidence and I'll believe you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so if I'm not eating that steak that takes up to 40 years to digest... <laughs> what are some? Would have been pretty tough steak. What, what are some? Old, what, are, what are some alternative iron sources? So your legumes are pretty good. Yeah, iron. Yep. Um, you've got your green leafy vegetables. Yeah, you know, things like spinach yep. are good for iron. Um, you want to have them though with something that's rich in vitamin C to help you absorb it. So capsicum, tomato, orange juice. Things like that. Good, yep. Yeah. I have my spinach and tomato on my wrap. Yep, yeah, mm-hmm. good. Don't have a coffee at the same time. Yeah. Got to look at those inhibitors as well. Yep. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. that's all right. Ticking those boxes. Mm-hmm. Just have a coffee in the morning. Yep. Yeah. What about uh, <laughs> mushrooms? Any any iron in, in in the mushrooms? Ooh, I think so. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I reckon. That's what the, the butcher had. Not enough to get you by, though. No. 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 You're burning a few... Bits of iron. I'm going through a bit. Should I go listen to a question or have you got more meat based questions? No, I was actually going to start talking about Nutella. You go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I've got to listen to a question from the Redback. So I've got two close friends who read two separate diet books at the same time. They're following completely different diets, i.e., one complete paleo and one complete vego. They're both in the running form of their lives. How is it possible that two completely different diets are reaping such success? Well, as I mentioned before, nutrition is very individual and I guess you've got to look at their interpretations of those diets as well. There's a lot of different interpretation of paleo. Yeah. Um, Some of them are omitting whole food groups, a lot of grains and things like that. I think one of them is. Yeah. Yeah, just just zero sugar, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So. But still running well. I know the guys he's talking about. Zulu. Yeah, yeah, and you. Yeah. Well, Zulu has, has a great base as a, you know, champion runner. Yeah. He's just 
He's just lean and running well again. I don't think it matter what it what he ate. He'd be yeah. He, he probably lost lean, thirty kilos. He's lean, fit, and and running well. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So I guess whatever your dietary pattern that you choose. I suppose as long as you're making sure that it's balanced and you're getting adequate carbohydrate, you're getting adequate protein, you're getting your vitamins and minerals that you need to, to stay healthy, you can perform well hmm. on either of them. Definitely with your vegan or following a variation of paleo, it's possible. It's harder on paleo. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's gotten a bit more popular now, especially among people trying to be fat adapted. Yeah. Um, which if you're doing longer distance, slower sort of intensity... Um, events, then hmm. you can see why that's kind of attractive to people, um, increasing your fat oxidation. Yep. And it does do that, um, but what the research is showing is that it actually limits your ability to use glycogen, so you use carbohydrate. Yep. So if you're at the end of a race and you want to kick to the finish, you hmm. put a burst of speed on, you lose that ability by being fat adapted. So Is that right? It's mm. interesting. So yeah, there's a lot of talk about you know, increasing fat utilization there. Um, so just purely by being fat adapted, you lose that high intensity yeah, sort of you downregulate that ability to yeah, to do right. That. Even if you were to eat or take in those carbohydrates on race day, you'd still downregulate that ability. Yeah, you'd want to be doing that during training. Which, if you're doing that as a lifestyle, that's not going to really be happening. That's so then, interesting. Yeah, that's Zulu, isn't it? Is yeah, you reckon? Because he's not—he doesn't have any—he's not having any sugar. No top end. No I've top always end. said that about Zulu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you lose your speed. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's in your opinion—is it worth working on that fat utilization or fat adaptation there? Um, I think if you're trying to perform and you want to have that ability to go at high speed, then not not really. I think the key is around periodizing your carbohydrate. To, to what your training's doing and you can manipulate that to get training adaptations mm-hmm. so you don't have to have all your training with good what we call carbohydrate availability yep. you can do occasional sessions semi-fasted or semi-fasted whatever. or fasted yep. um, preferably ones that are lower intensity more aerobic mm. <laughs> rather than your really high intensity or skill based yep. skill based um, sessions to try and get some more adaptation around that fat utilisation, okay. um, but it's not something that you want to be doing all, all the time. time. Yeah, interesting. So if for something like Surf Coast Century where you're moving at fairly low intensities, you'd suggest maybe a little bit more of that style of training? Yeah, you could definitely implement some of that. I probably wouldn't do it more than a two or three times a week. Yeah. Um, so you're talking about running in the morning, pre-breakfast kind of stuff, like, yeah. but low intensity work. Yeah. Good tip. Mm. I like that. Just the coffee? Is coffee all right? Coffee's not going to give you energy. Good. Um, <laughs> so it does you wake you up. up. It does, yeah. Mm. I'm tending to go through quite a few goo energy gels during my runs mm-hmm. in the morning. Good plug. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And I'm not making it up. Um, so I'll have a coffee and then go out and do a, a longish run. But I'll have a goo every eight kilometres, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know, 50 minutes. And... Um, so that's just a for me. It's a top up in energy and um, the caffeine as well. Sort of gives you a kickstart and keeps you going. So mm-hmm. I'm doing that three mornings during the week, mm-hmm. and then also on the weekend as well. Do you see any issues with that? 
I guess the only issue would be if, I guess it depends on the terrain that you're you're covering when you're training. If you're not getting that carbohydrate in beforehand, it impairs your ability to focus and concentrate. So if you're going over a really technical trail, you're going to be more likely to trip and potentially injure yourself if you don't have that top up of carbohydrate beforehand. Because your brain's not working. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'm just adapted to the brain not working. (laughs) Yeah, that's possible. (laughs) Switched up a lot. (laughs) So, yeah, I generally recommend for for sessions that are high intensity or you need to concentrate, you know, for cyclists if you're out on the road, don't choose those ones to be your fasted ones. It'd be better to do something that's lower intensity, probably good light, (laughs) so you don't have that risk of falling. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because the brain's only able to use carbohydrate for fuel, is that right? It's its preferred fuel source, yeah. It takes what it needs first before it yeah. shunts it to the rest of the body. So, okay. Yeah. Good. Mm. Oh, that's great advice. Mm. No technical stuff on an empty stomach. Yeah. Yeah, that can go with your, your normal breakfast routine, mainly fruit before lunch. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got a lot of rules on the fridge. Yeah, that's right. That's good. <laughs> Michelle, what do you think about um, the seemingly disproportionate number of ultra-distance athletes leaning towards vegetarianism and veganism? Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great to see there's more more focus on people eating more vegetables. We know from the dietary surveys that lots of people don't even eat mm-hmm. the recommended number of serves of vegetables a day for good health. So yeah. if Obviously, people doing ultra events are a bit more conscious, a bit more mindful about mm-hmm. getting the nutrients that they need from vitamins and minerals from the plants. So as long mm-hmm. as they're doing that and are considering their requirements and, and meeting those, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you think it's achievable to get by? Absolutely, yeah. Yep. You can get adequate protein from from plant-based mm-hmm. um, diets. And Yeah, okay. There keep, you go. You keep questioning it like it's a myth. <laughs> But can I, can I just... I'm going to get to the bottom of it one day, which right. man. Yeah, so very sceptical, <laughs> very sceptical over there. He's just waiting for the wheels to fall off everyone. And and Steve Redfern just ran 231Ks, converted vego and, yeah. and vegan, uh, in 42 hours non-stop. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, if he's not a poster boy, who is? But he came second. To the bloke who was eating bacon the entire time, I imagine. Yeah. Apparently, can't chasing. confirm that. Apparently, they set off some some pigs through the chase on the way. If you catch them, it's your it's your barbecue. He was quick, clearly. So I reckon he got a couple. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, on, on, on that point, though, with ultra events or running generally, when you are training and racing, you are actually causing a lot of gut damage through through just that activity so in plant foods you're getting a lot of fiber a lot of prebiotic and probiotic foods that are going to help heal the gut so so it's going to only be a beneficial thing really it's just timing it so you don't have too much fiber in your gut before you start running (laughs) so you're saying there's an advantage to it there could be yeah so they're basically cheating they're not cheating (laughs) 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 they're help limiting that that um Inflammation. Inflammation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just getting the evidence together. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, it's Don't a work in progress. All right, let's, let's ask a more typical question of the show. This is from, from the judge. 
So I'm a recent convert to good nutrition, but previously I drink 11 beers the night before a race and still go okay. Please tell me there's some nutritional value wrapped up in this delightful beverage. And he's actually written, mmm, beer, at the end of his question. Mm. Yes, it contains some carbohydrate. It's fluid. Yeah. <laughs> 11 beers would be a lot of fluid. It'd be a lot of fluid. Mm. Um, Are they mid-strength or full? Well, I think on his road to better nutrition, he's moved down the scale, down the ladder from, you know, the heavy German sort of dark beer through to light beer. So... Yeah, he's gone, gone all the way down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess it ticks the carbohydrate and the fluid boxes, but then, yeah, you do need to be mindful that it is um, dehydrating. So um, they've done some studies using beer as a rehydration beverage to see. Right? Uh, there's actually been, Had, um, they've been trying to formulate a recovery beer. How did he get involved with the studies? Um, there was a guy up in Queensland was doing, I'll see if he's still still looking for people. Yeah, but... <laughs> can, can you reach out for us? I can see if he's still doing that research. You can get filter to jump on, like, yeah. um, like the Gatorade Institute. They could get the Filter Institute happening. Yeah. Mm. Well, we've got some guinea pigs. Yeah, but what they've found so far, though, is you know, the recommendations post-exercise are you meant to replace 150% of the fluid that you've lost. Okay. Okay. Um, to kind of get back to to a good hydration status, but what they've found is even though if you drink 150 percent of beer, mm. temporarily your hydration status is good, but then you end up back where you started after a few hours. So okay. it hasn't actually had any hydrating benefit long term. Right. So, so that's what I mentioned. If you have it, you've got to have it with, with some, water. some water or something yeah, to have the hydration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so interesting. I reckon that's what happened with Jezza after six foot track. Yeah. He would have had half a dozen beers and probably had a good patch of time when he was probably rehydrated a bit, yeah. but then went downhill quite quickly after that. Yeah. There you go. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Jez is doing well anyway. Yeah. Mm. Besides the, you know, traveling, tra- you know, he has trouble seeing things and... Yeah, yeah, apart from that, he's pretty good. And the kidney damage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll move on. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got one more question that I received from a patient this morning, actually. R- runner Sam Taylor. Um, as my long runs increase in distance, I seem to have an insatiable appetite for chocolate post-run. Is there any way I can curb my chocolate enthusiasm? I'm a dietitian that loves chocolate, so... <laughs> Don't you all? I think most of us do, it's yeah. <laughs> what chocolate are you eating? I just like normal dairy milk. Yeah. It's good, or lint. Lint's pretty good too. Yeah, right. It's damn good. So, what about this seventy percent? You know, they say seventy percent cocoa. Do you? Is that better for you? Or? It's got some more antioxidants in it, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah, it's good to be healthier. But you know, I don't eat chocolate because it's healthy. I eat exactly. it because it tastes good. Yeah. It also tastes. And like if you're training lots, <laughs> if you're training lots, there's room in your diet for a little bit of discretionary foods i think yeah <laughs> i think sam was talking about like a proper block of chocolate after a long run though is that going a bit far or so maybe satisfy your appetite with some more nourishing foods first okay. and then if you're still hungry and you want to enjoy that taste then go, then for, go it. for it yeah chocolate milk's great for recovery too if you want that chocolate here yeah yeah, yeah i subscribe to that i reckon yeah. that's a winner i like nutella with a spoon mm-hmm. like you know i think it's wasted as a spread but with a spoon <laughs> A lot of people like it that way. Yeah, yeah. very specific. <laughs> yeah, that's the only way to eat it. Things taste differently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. had peanut butter by the spoonful as well. Oh, dear. <laughs> Not me personally. Ah. Um, many people. Okay. I'm keen to try anything. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, 
Where do people find you if they want to um, engage you as a, a nutritionist? Where, where can they find you? Dietitian? Dietitian, yeah. What's the difference between a dietitian and nutritionist? Well, all dietitians are nutritionists, um, but not the other way around. So you, dietitians have to have done at least a four-year um, dietetics degree at university, and we have to um, do a certain amount of professional development each year to maintain our our status as a dietitian. Nutritionist, you could just do a two-hour course on the weekend and call yourself a nutritionist if you wanted to. Yeah, There's no right? regulation around it. There are university-qualified nutritionists. Mm. Um, but, yeah, if you genuinely if you want, want good evidence-based nutrition advice, um, I'd recommend seeing a dietitian over a, somebody. Well, check qualifications. It's <laughs> good to know. I might yeah. become a dietitian for a day. It's going to take you four years to be a dietitian for a day, though. Yeah, or nutritionist, yeah, that's yeah, what I meant to say. So, potentially. Yeah, nutritionist for a day. I even hit it up for the weekend. So, you'll, never, you'll never last, mate. <laughs> no, no. So, um, and so where do people find you? Oh, I have um, clinics here in the Shire, or just outside of the Shire, in Ingardine, Padstow and Cogra. Yep. Um, so I can see people face-to-face there. I also do online consults. Um, I guess the best way to contact me is through Facebook or Instagram or my webpage. So the webpage is tuneuphealth.com.au. Um, on Instagram, I'm tuneuphealth. And on Facebook, it's tuneuphealth and fitness. Okay. So any of those Easy. Ways. Yeah. Easy. Very good. Mm-hmm. All right. We should mention our discount codes too for our partners. So Fractal Performance Caps, if you go to their online store. You can get a 15% discount, use the discount code Running Matters and Goo Energy, speaking of nutrition, mm. you can use um, the discount code Running Matters and get 15% discount. They've got a new product out too, I saw. I know. Liquid Energy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. so, so is this, I haven't tasted the Liquid Energy yet. Um, is it just a gel again, but like not so thick? Is that what it is? I haven't looked at it, but that's what I'd assume. It sounds like because the normal goo gels are quite quite thick. Yeah, you so I guess it'd be runnier. I guess it'd be runnier. Which means yeah, it'd be easy to absorb. Somebody try it and let me know what you think. Yeah, we'll report back on that one. So, yep, Goo Energy use the code Running Matters and get a fifteen percent discount for their online store. And we've already mentioned Surfcase Century and their code. Um, Hattie, people can follow us on our Facebook or Instagram page, Running Matters Podcast. Still, yep. Still? Yep. And uh, if you are downloading our episodes, um, subscribe to get our weekly reminders when our episodes pop up. What about Strava? Are you getting any new followers on Strava? Yeah, I've had a few. Yep. Not as many as you. Yep. You can go out to the post box and get 200 kudos. (laughs) Yeah. What's going on? I don't know. But I like I like the fact that they're as far as Moscow. They're, yeah, you got a Russian on board. I've got a, I've got a few Russian followers. That's nice. <laughs> Finally getting the recognition you deserve Correct. for going to the bloody post box. That's right. Correct. That's a so if people do want to follow us on Strava, Paul Hadfield and or uh, Matt North uh, Running Matters Podcast. So... Follow us on Strava and see what we're doing, training-wise. Especially the Russians. Get yep. in, bo- get on board. Yep, that's right. Performance, <laughs> performance-based. <laughs> Michelle, thanks very much for giving up your time and coming in. Thanks uh, for having me again. <laughs> my pleasure. And we'll have another filter, and I'll open the Nutella, and we'll celebrate properly. Mm-hmm.